How much power should your best player have? We'll discuss this week on Iceman and Coach. That's right, everybody. That means that it is Wednesday and it is time for the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. This is the Iceman, Matty Ice. And as always, I am joined, actually not always, but most of the time I am joined by the coach, Brad. How you doing, buddy? Matty Ice, I'm doing well. You're right. Uh, have not uh, been able to make it every time, but I always love to be here when I can. This is one of the highlights of my week to be on this show and to talk through all the wonderful stories happening in the world of sports. As it should be, my friend. It is nice to talk about sports, but it's also nice to have a little bit of a, uh, a virtual connection with some friends because as parents, we don't get as much connection as we would like. Those little kids want just about all of our time. And speaking of which, yesterday, the day we are recording this is November 1st but the day yesterday was Halloween. So how was Halloween with the family and the kiddos? Uh, you know what? It was really awesome. So our daughter is six and she's always been very shy. And every year getting her to sort of participate in the n normal trick-or-treating activities of Halloween has been a struggle. And so I was a little nervous about how our son would handle it. He's two, but he's definitely a lot more of an extrovert than she has ever been. And, you know, we took him last year, but obviously he had, didn't really have a clue what was happening. So this year you know, he's dressed up in a little dinosaur costume. He's walking along and the very first house we go to and he realizes he was going to get candy. He was in hook line and sinker man like i'm literally running to chase him because he's just house to house zigzagging running across the street and people are you know they think he's just adorable so they're holding the bowl of candy down for him to grab and he just keeps grabbing handfuls i'm like listen you got to move the bowl because my guy is going to take it all if you don't like he re he doesn't understand the rules of this but he had a blast and it was funny because i think it actually kind of it worked in the opposite way i think it helped bring our daughter out of her shell a little bit which was really fun to see i'd like to hear man how was uh how was Halloween on your end? I gotta say that it rained, so we were in a downpour here. So we didn't get nearly as much time as I think we would have liked, but we had a whole concoction going. So my son was Mario this year because he is obsessed with Mario games and he just loves all of that stuff. So he wanted to wear the costume on Saturday. So we let him wear it on Saturday. We took him out to the store with it on. He fell asleep with it on. He wore it all day long. And so we were wondering if maybe he wouldn't wear it on Monday. They had a Halloween party at the school. He wore it all day Monday and he wouldn't take it off until we were done trick or treating, but we're out there. And like, like you said, last year, he kind of knew what was going on, but it was very hesitant. He would walk up, really didn't understand what's happening. Why are these people giving me shit and all that. And this year though, he had it down like it was like first five houses were like okay here's the thing trick or treat thank you have a good night like you got to make it boom 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 it's a cadence and then after five houses he was gold he was saying trick or treat thank you to every single person even though they weren't giving him candy so we got what well, we got a good amount of trick or treating in for his age and he came home counted his candy and he got a shit ton I will say that and we've had to like parse it out a little bit because there's no way he's eating all of that we are totally not allowing that no yeah that we're in the same boat because uh, I did out i took our son home and our daughter stayed out with the wife for you know maybe another hour and you know she came home with just
just another bucket load of candy and yeah, just an astronomical amount of sugar uh, sitting on our counter right now that, yeah, we have to sort of ration out because it'll be really miserable around our home otherwise. And we did get a little rain during the day, but it cleared up and it was actually a really beautiful evening um, in central Illinois, which was nice. And uh, you talked about your son being super jacked about his costume. My wife actually sent me a picture today of our son uh, sitting at the table in his dinosaur costume. <laughs> so uh, he's just as excited about his costume. And I, I just think that's wonderful. It's always great to see that because when you're an early parent, it's hard to have that connection. At least I felt that way, especially in the newborn phase, your first six months or so, you feel like it's a job. Like you're just like, okay, we gotta do this, 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 and this. And it never really feels rewarding. And then everybody says how rewarding parenthood is. And I struggle with that. This age right now is really great. And obviously he has his moments and he's going to continue to have his moments, but it is nice to have that unbridled joy about something. Cause as we get older, we don't really have it anymore. No, and you're absolutely right. And to see them there, you know, your son and my son are very close in age and it's sort of that magical age where they start to blossom and really more so than anything, their personality starts to blossom and they're, they're talking and, you know, they're putting sentences together and you can actually, for the first time in their short lives, uh, communicate with them. They can tell you what they want and you can respond. And, and that's a really gratifying uh, feeling. That's when I feel like we're really hitting the ground running. Now, if we can get you to feed yourself and wipe your own ass, we'll be in business. <laughs> Potty training sucks, by the way. We are knee deep in that, and uh, it's been interesting. But you talk about unbridled joy and communicating. Well, we're going to open the show with a subject that we've never talked about, and that's the NBA. And we're not going to get into the X's and O's of basketball, but something interesting happened today, and it's really been percolating. So the Brooklyn Nets are a franchise that have been struggling or reaching to be perceived as the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are not successful, but I think the Knicks are the team of New York, and I think anybody outside of New York knows that and Brooklyn has tried or strived to be that and they've had Kevin Durant for a couple of years they got Kyrie Irving they've made some trades all these things have happened well this past offseason Kevin Durant has basically said or had said that he was unhappy and he didn't want Steve Nash as the coach I think there's a lot of things that have happened there well it turns out today Steve Nash got fired and it seems as if Kevin Durant is going to get his wish. Now, before we get into what's going to happen here, because they're going to be bringing another coach which is with an interesting backstory, I wanted to ask you a question about superstars, because I think in the NFL, we don't see as much of a power play unless it's a quarterback. Very rarely does a position player or a skill position player have that kind of clout. But we've seen Aaron Rodgers try to have this kind of clout. We've seen Tom Brady try to have this kind of clout. The quarterback is that position. And if you want to run an organization, especially in basketball, which I so few players so one guy can make the turn between not making the playoffs or winning the nba finals how do you feel about these coach and player power struggles now because it's new we haven't seen that really and it seems like to be more and more swayed toward the player where the coach is gone and the player gets to have what he wants I feel like the first time that we really saw it is maybe like in the sort of LeBron was maybe the first person to really take the reins of a franchise and uh, kind of have really the the most the loudest and most influential voice from top to bottom. And and we've seen other stars come along and have that same uh, power and influence. It's bizarre to me because we don't see it in other sports, like you said, at least not as prevalently. Yes, we've seen a little bit of it in the NFL with the folks you've mentioned, but it's like it's not even just like the quarterback. It's there's just a couple guys, right? Like 
like that's it and you don't see it in baseball at all i don't think no and i mean hockey gosh no you don't see it i mean really you don't see it in any other sports very 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 unique to basketball it almost functions like i feel like uh, a high school a high school team would function where you know you're you're at the mercy of your best player i guess because uh, having a really good player at the high school level could be the difference between being really really good and being terrible uh because at that level it just takes one guy basically and i don't know if that's an indictment on the game of basketball <laughs> or the people involved but i'm not crazy about it but i'm also at the same time i'm not i'm not so i'm not a big basketball i'm more of a team guy man i'm just not a me first guy at all and i think that that whole mentality screams me first mentality i'm more important than you and and i'm not a big fan of that at all that's one thing i really dislike truthfully about the nba is all the power lies with the players and it's not that i'm not a player guy but uh, i think they wield that power in sort of um, unproductive ways well the interesting wrinkle to this is the celtics coach ime Udoka, who is suspended right now because apparently he was having a an irresponsible relationship in the organization it was against his contract apparently the nets are going to bring this guy in like they're going to backdoor this guy in as their head coach having just taken the celtics to the nba finals kevin durant that seems to be his guy and my question to you is does the coach matter in this situation because you, you mentioned lebron lebron is a great example lebron has been the gm of whatever team he's been on for the last decade or so and what we're seeing with the lakers now is they stink like they're absolutely horrible and he has been at the forefront of making these moves and do you believe in the idea that coaches coach and players play and it should be left up to executives and coaches to make certain basketball decisions and let the players execute those things because i know the players get paid more money than everybody else but that's their role is to play not to coach well, when I, when, as you're talking about that, there's a few names that popped into my head that makes me believe that coaching matters. And that's Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, and you could even say maybe Doc Rivers, uh, Steve Kerr, what he's doing now. If Steve Kerr left Golden State and went and did it somewhere else, maybe that would solidify his coaching legacy because it would not be hard to look at Golden State and say, well, but they've had really great talent the whole time he's been there, um, or at least most of the time he's been there. But I think coaching matters. And like, again, we're seeing the opposite happening in uh, Los Angeles now where LeBron is, he's the one driving the truck down the road and, and things are not going well. So I do think that coaching matters, not from maybe even an X's and O's standpoint, because those guys know how to play the game, just from a kind of managing the, the roller coaster ride and the ebbs and flows of a season and kind of managing the personalities that seems like it would be something best left to someone not on the roster and i think lebron probably tries to be that guy and i, I think if player coach sort of thing doesn't really fly with egos that exist in the nba yeah and i feel like the, the the coach can separate himself or herself in some cases from the the things you're talking about the emotions absolutely because they're trying to manage the situational parts of the game and i know a lot of people will say players make better coaches but i think what we have seen is that's not necessarily the case a lot of times the best coaches are guys that maybe your fringe players or have just been around the game for a long time and they didn't play at the highest level i mean steve nash is going to be or he is going to be a hall of famer if he's not already great player excellent player that doesn't mean he can coach barry bonds was one of the best hitters we've ever seen can't coach right peyton manning doesn't get into coaching because he can't coach so i feel like this is a dangerous precedent but it, interestingly in the nba it's harder to get rid of these guys because 
because the collective bargaining agreement and all the accounting of getting rid of a guy is so, so difficult, especially this early in the season. But to drop your coach after seven games in an 81 game season, it's just, it's insane to me. And I feel like these franchises that allow this to happen on such a regular level without the talent of LeBron, like LeBron wins one championship with LA and it legitimizes it. But I just feel like it's a dangerous precedent to set for a guy, Kevin Durant, who is excellent, but I'm not sure is worth that kind of a headache. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the NBA, aren't all the contracts fully guaranteed? Yes. It's not like the NFL where you get guaranteed money when you sign. Actually, the, the accounting of the NBA is interesting. We could do a whole like business episode on this because of how the, the slots for max contracts are, are proportioned out based off of your revenue and all these different things. So teams know years ahead of time when they're going to be available and how many max slots are they're going to have, which is a lot of times why you see guys traded away three years ahead of time. Like famously, the Washington Wizards here, because Durant is from the area, they tried to get out of a lot of contracts of three years ahead of time so that they could entice him to come here when he was never going to fucking come here. Yeah, well, I thought that my logic behind the question is I think that maybe it has something to do with the guaranteed contracts. I know like in the NFL specifically, a lot of the contracts, even the really big ones, are incentive-laden contracts. So yeah, you're going to make good money, but like if you want to make generational, you know, build generational wealth and so on and so forth, like you got to be on the field, like meeting these metrics that are going to, you know, take your contract to that next level, so on and so forth. Also, yes, not having an Aaron Rodgers, not having a Tom Brady on the field makes a big difference, but I one guy can't make as big of a difference in the NFL as they can in the NBA. I mean, like basketball is just a unique game where if, if you have a guy like a Kevin Durant or LeBron James, or Steph Curry, you know, whoever, uh, you remove them from the equation and it's a difference between being a, maybe a championship contender and not even making the playoffs. Um, that's a, and I think that's just a risk that most owners or GMs, whoever aren't willing to take. And that's a good segue now because the NFL trade deadline was either today or it's very, 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 very soon on the heels of this episode. And it's actually been very active, like trade deadline in baseball. We always think about we know the date because there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of buzz around it. But the trade deadline in the NFL traditionally hasn't really been anything. Usually free agency is more what people are interested in. But I can tell you, Adam Schefter was making his money today because trades were just flying off the board. And one thing that stood out to me was that a lot of teams that either are there and think that they need one piece to get them to like the elite level or teams that maybe were trying to get rid of guys that those were the teams that were in and some moves that kind of stood out to me I wanted to read them off to you so Bradley Chubb who was obviously a great defensive end in college drafted by the Broncos he's now a Miami Dolphin it's very clear to me that the Dolphins feel like they have a Super Bowl winning team right now yeah I, you're right what you kind of said lead into that this has definitely been the most active NFL trade trade deadline I can think of it usually just kind of comes and goes uh, without much uh, activity at all and to, to see kind of what happens today is is incredible and i do think that you're right the dolphins see themselves as uh, a super bowl contender you wouldn't make this kind of move if you didn't believe that to be the case uh i personally and we'll get into it a little bit later i i think that they're on the path to being a perennial playoff team but i, I don't know if they're at a championship level yet but it, it's fun to see teams willing to make these moves i think i just think it's exciting right because so much in the nfl you get guys that they get drafted and you know they're with teams for maybe their whole careers in, in a lot of 
cases. And I think it's fun when you see this kind of stuff go down. But one thing that happens when these trades take place now is these teams give up so much draft capital and draft capital has been seen as very, very valuable, especially the picks you look at here and not even really a first round pick to be had. I think Chubb went for a first round pick, but most of these other guys that we have on the list are second, third, fourth, even later. And those are very valuable to a lot of teams. Bill Belichick traditionally builds his team in those two to four or two to five range. And a lot of teams it's working that. out really well right now too, isn't it? Well, a lot, I'm just saying, a lot of teams are willing to give up this draft capital. I mean, Sean McVay sold out to win a Super Bowl. I mean, you think about what he did, and you got the the Lions, who obviously are, are terrible and aren't going anywhere. They traded TJ Hawkinson as one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the league in the division to Minnesota, who clearly feels, after losing Irv Smith, but obviously TJ Hawkinson's a, a big upgrade here, they feel that they're ready to go. I mean, this, the Steelers traded Chase Claypool to the Bears. That one was a little head-scratching because the Bears aren't there yet, even though I think the Bears are making better strides lately. That seemed like an odd move for a team that has major offensive line issues. It was almost two teams in the same predicament, you know? Yeah. And that's what was weird about it. It wasn't like neither one of them was really significantly upgrading, which seemed bizarre, but who knows, man? The Bears do weird shit for sure. I, I've been just surrounded by it my whole life, you know, living so close to Chicago. Just the, the amount of disgruntled Bears fans I'm surrounded by on a regular basis is alarming. Yeah, I mean, and they, they haven't had much to, to celebrate in the last 20 years or so outside of a Super Bowl berth and a couple of good teams. But the one that really intrigued me was Calvin Ridley getting traded to the Jags. Now, I always knew that Calvin Ridley was never going to be a Falcon, but being suspended for the year, this isn't a, a win now move for the Jags. This is for later because the Jags have taken a huge precipitous free fall ever since they were at the top of the division at the end of September. They've looked absolutely horrible. And that's a guy who got suspended for a year for making a couple bets on not his NFL team, I guess, or his team when he wasn't playing. And we've seen Deshaun Watson get a lot less for a lot more there. Oh, let's not even <laughs> let's not even go down that road, man. But uh, I think, no, I mean, we just we would totally shit can the rest of this if we even started that conversation but I think that, that it's weird what the Jags are doing. The, uh, you know, they traded uh, Robinson Wright to the Jets. And then, did I, did, did I screw his name up? No, you okay. no, you got it. That, <laughs> no, no, that so is what like, happened. Now, what, what, but what's happened here is a lot of these teams have traded for need. So, Brees Hall goes down for the Jets. And, of course, Robinson goes. Because they have ETN who's having actually a great year. Even though Trevor Lawrence looked horrible the other day, ETN was fantastic. And these teams are, they're trying to get these, you know, needs that they have. So, the Bills trade for Naeem Hines, who's a former Colt now, and that just bolsters up the position that they've had a lot of issues with, which is running back. And then Kadarius Toney, who was drafted in the first round by the Giants two years ago, hasn't really made anything of himself, and now he's a chief, and that seems like another environment where he can be successful, and they bolster up what is already an explosive offense. So the trade deadline has been very active, but it seems like the teams that know that they're there, they want to get better, and the teams that are in this kind of weird space of we don't we don't know where we are, or our future is very murky, are getting rid of guys that obviously are not going to sign there, which interesting that Chubb was one of the guys to go, given that the Broncos were supposed to be really good this year. No, man, but what's, what's exciting, you know, as we talk about, you know, these teams that feel like they're there that are making moves that put themselves in contention i feel like we are in this stage right now and there's a lot of parity in the nfl and, and it's just been increasing year after year but we're sort of in a power shift right brady's on the way out roger's ultimately going to be on the way out you know we have these young stunt 
young stud quarterbacks, Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen, things like that. And I, I think that sort of the NFL that our kids are going to grow up with here and the teams that are the power teams in the league over the next decade are going to be so much different than what you know we grew up with and even have been accustomed to over our lifetimes. I mean, we had probably what's going to go down in history is the greatest dynasty in, in NFL history, the Patriots, uh, through most of our lifetimes, you know, which is just, I don't know if it's it's able to be duplicated with the parity that exists now. Uh, it's just exciting to me. I like to see new blood. I like to see the Dolphins getting in the mix a little bit. The Vikings, yeah, they had a couple good teams. Uh, you know, they've been there, but, you know, as far as in the mix, but to see them making the push that they're making, the Jets, the Bills, it, it's fun. It is true. You and I have straddled different decades and how fundamentally different the game of football is from the 90s to what it is today. And we have seen all of the greatness of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, the tail end of Brett Favre. The game is different now. It's so much more faster. And honestly, these players are so much more talented. And to see these guys going back and forth, it tells me that more teams are in this year than have been in previous years, because I think with more playoff spots to be had, there's less of a foregone conclusion and you're right I think it's not just a shift it has shifted I think that the time of Brady and Rodgers is over and Josh Allen has firmly cemented himself in my mind as as the best quarterback in the league that isn't Patrick Mahomes I think they're 1A 1B and then you can start the conversation there however you want to put them and it is definitely a power shift and I'm kind of here for it you're right my son is going to grow up knowing this NFL he's not going to remember the 90s NFL where Drew Bledsoe was leading the league with 3,000 yards no I mean and it's super fun to see some of, and even just to see some of the fan bases man I, I can't wait you know we're about halfway right and just to see how things play out because yeah there's a couple teams that are sort of clear you know head and shoulders right now at least above the rest of the league two or three that really stand out but the rest of it's just this big group man in the middle and a lot of them are, are in the same division other teams that are in that big group and just to see how it's going to shake out over the next couple months dude is going to be super exciting especially for us here that talk about it that is very true well, we're going to get into the NFL a little bit later, but I want to get into college, not into the analysis, but we had a big thing break as we were waiting to get onto this stream here. And the college football playoff rankings have finally come out for the first time. I just want to ask you, have you seen them? I did briefly see them right before, I, I but I, I had my four in mind. I'm sticking with my four. Uh, it's slightly different than the one that came out, but yes, I have. So I'm curious though, coming in before having seen it, who was your number one team? Tennessee. Was it really? Yeah, I just think they have the best They have the best resume right now. I think there's people that might want to argue Ohio State just because they think they might be more talented. I would have been one of those people a month ago, but with what Tennessee's done and who they've, I mean, the schedule they've played and the teams they've beaten, I don't know how you cannot put them at number one right now. They just, they just played a better schedule. Uh, they have more impressive wins. Ohio State does not have any of those wins, really. The, the, the Notre Dame win is not voting to be a very good win at this point. So, no, I think you have to put Tennessee as number one. Now, are they the best team in the country? I don't know. But right now, today, you got to put them number one. I guess in my mind, I give the nod to the champs because the champs haven't lost. Like you want to, you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I actually assumed that Georgia would be number one, just getting that nod as the national champions. They haven't lost. I know they had one or two games where they haven't looked spectacular, but they're still the champions and they still have been playing really, really well. And I was a little bit surprised to see the rankings. So right now, number one is Tennessee. Number two is Ohio State. 
State, number three is Georgia, and number four is Clemson. Anything about that surprise you? Um, so just to give you my top three are the same. I had Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia. I had Michigan four uh, right now. Now, not, again, not because of, I, I think they're pretty good. I think, you know, them or Ohio State are going to be in the playoff. And then I had, just so you know, five, six, I had Clemson and Alabama right now. So uh, surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I think, you know, Clemson maybe gets the nod just because they are perceived as the best team in the ACC. And Michigan is obviously perceived as the second best team in the Big Ten right now. And realistically, I think the assumption is only one team from the Big Ten is going to get in. So that whole debacle is going to hash itself out at some point. Not a lot to argue about with the rankings, though. I, I'm proud of the committee for having the balls to put Tennessee number one. Yeah, I mean, this is a weekly thing, and I have to remember and remind myself that they're looking at it on a week-to-week -week basis. They're not trying to project forward of who's going to be where they are at the end of the season. And so you're right, though. Tennessee has had the best resume, but by extension, I guess, Clemson has played a lot of ranked teams and come out on top, whereas Michigan has played kind of a softer schedule. I'm not saying they played a soft schedule, but a softer schedule schedule that has looked more impressive because the margin of victory has been higher and they're beating teams soundly that they've had a little bit of trouble with in years past and I, it's funny how long it took Jim Harbaugh to finally figure it out at Michigan but he seems to have found that team unfortunately all of these teams have to play one another at some point later on in the season so fortunately not unfortunately well you know what yeah I'm saying unfortunately for awesome. them I would so great for us but the other thing that I took away from this two things the two Pac-12 teams are seven and eight behind Alabama and one of them is undefeated so that tells you everything you need to know about how the Pac-12 is perceived and by the way Oregon who you jokingly told me would never sniff the playoff is sitting there at number eight seven and one so they have recuperated quite well now let's be honest though eight is a long ways away from sniffing the playoff it is i mean it's like i i'm trying to think of a great analogy for it but i mean i guess it's like it's almost like being uh at a great game but standing outside the stadium and just listening to it happen uh you're really close you're you're a mere you're mere feet from being at the party but at the same time you're you're so far away they have though they've rebounded very well totally debunking anything i've had to say about them up to this point but you you are right about the pac-12 i mean shit man when we did our whole conference realignment i mean we basically both scoffed at sort of what the west looked like when you shook it uh when it all shook out and kind of who was out there it, it's not great man it really isn't great and uh, that stinks because i do think college football is better if you have or if oregon is a little better than what they've been usc's in the picture and so on and so forth but i'm not surprised by how far back uh the pac-12 is no but uh the one thing that has to piss you off royally is seeing brian kelly at number 10 in these rankings like are you fucking kidding me <sighs> I'm so conflicted because I don't want to be just a bitter Notre Dame fan because the guy can coach. I mean, I didn't dislike him when he was in Notre Dame. I just liked the way he left, kind of. It seemed, I guess, I mean, this feels weird to say it. It seems selfish in a way, but at the end of the day, man, you got to do what, what you feel like is best for you and your family. And if what he wanted was, hey, I want to go see if I can, if I've got the chops to go do it in the SEC, you know, that's where it's done, then you can't fault the guy for that, I suppose. I, I think he's kind of a doucher as a person. But yeah, you know, for sure. But I mean, you can't deny his ability to coach. And I, you know, he's definitely got some things going going well down there at LSU. He, he certainly has a, a better talent pool to draw from as far as a recruiting base goes. So I, I'm gonna try not to be bitter about it and kind of enjoy to see how things shake out. I think it's too soon to make really a, a major definitive determin determination on how good of a move this was. But so far, you know, he's holding his own.
Yeah, and it's interesting to see a two-loss team at number 10 above a couple of one-loss teams. But one of them is your boy Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, who they absolutely obliterated in LA, uh, in Louisiana. So I, I would have to assume that that's there. A couple other things. So Kansas State is sitting at 13. Boy, were we wrong about the Cowboys this weekend. Oh, yeah. It, it'll be because they, uh, <laughs> they play Texas this week, right? They host Texas, I believe. 45 to nothing. That's what Oklahoma State put up in Manhattan, which you called the not-so-big apple. I mean, we'll we'll find out. It wouldn't surprise me if Texas makes a run at uh makes a run at Kansas State this week. But uh, again, though, man, you have a team like that, you know, getting up into the mix. That's not bad for football. I like seeing some of those names that aren't always traditionally in the top twenty-five making a run at it. So, if you had to take a guess, if you're talking about teams outside the top six, are there any teams that you could see vaulting into the conversation or into the playoff by the year's end? Man, I feel like we always get excited about all the possibilities and then things shake out in what is like the most predictable fashion ever. I think that we're going to end up with two SEC teams, the Big Ten champ, and then ultimately uh, either an undefeated Clemson or may maybe we'll see who comes out of the big 12. <laughs> I'll tell you a sleeper team. Yes, let's hear it. A sleeper team I think that nobody's talking about is USC right now. I know that they have that one loss and we kind of put them buried for dead, but I'm thinking about it in terms of ratings and a Southern California team making the playoff. Like if there's a couple of one loss teams that you have to look at, is the is the playoff committee going to look at it in terms of that? Because that would, that would add an element that we haven't normally seen in the playoff a lot of a lot of it has been more East Coast or Southern slanted. And to have USC back in the national title picture would be interesting. And they're sitting there at number nine. There's a long way to go, obviously. And they've got a lot of teams to beat. But that's one of the teams right now that seems, you know, kind of, yeah, it's interesting to see them sitting there right right now. And nobody's really given them any, any good look. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Even if they win the Pac-12, I think a lot of other shit's going to have to go awry in some of these other leagues for them to have a real crack at it. Just with, you know, what they lost to... Um, what's their loss? They have a loss, right? I can't remember it. Yeah, I mean, it's... And I tell you what, man, and, and it's as fucking irritating as it is for me being a Notre Dame fan. Notre Dame shows... They play to the level of their competition. Like, they show up to play at the level of whoever they're playing. Unfortunately, they, they've played Marshall and Stanford and a couple of not very good teams and they played you know as a mirror image of there's a their opponents but uh you know you can't that's what and that's a rivalry game that's one of those games i don't think you can just chalk up as an automatic win for usc and um honestly though if the committee had any if they had balls okay i already know i said they had balls but if they had real brass balls and they wanted to put the top four teams in the country in the playoff today it would be tennessee ohio state georgia and alabama those are i think the four best teams in the country now depending on how things shake out record wise in the sec and what happens you know this saturday between tennessee and georgia and then what happens in the uh sec championship game you know realistically though i think you could justify that three teams from the sec and the big 10 champ are probably the four best teams in the country maybe yeah. i'm not giving clemson enough credit but gosh is it the four best teams or is it just trying to make everybody happy that's the part that I'm not sure about because it, it feels like we don't have as much transparency into that as I would like because I think it's the four best teams. And if that's the criteria, then you have to take a look at what these teams are bringing to the table. Like Alabama losing early in the season, assuming they went out, has to make it, right? Because they're going to take out a lot of great teams on the way. They might take out Tennessee again. And if Tennessee loses a game and they're sitting there at number four or five, are they not one of the four best teams? And I think that that's the part that gets me every 
every week because that while it is weekly at the very end the final rankings are the one that matter and sometimes i feel like we don't get as much transparency into the criteria that is used because four teams out of the litany of teams that are trying to vie for this playoff i can't wait for an expanded playoff no i agree like what happens if we get the one loss sec triangle right if tennessee loses at so alabama lost at tennessee tennessee loses at georgia and then alabama beats georgia in the sec championship game like how i mean obviously the winner of the sec is going to get in do you but the so if alabama wins you just say well georgia beat tennessee so they're in but you say well tennessee beat alabama i mean it's just how do you even fucking determine that yeah like would tennessee beat clemson on a neutral field would tennessee beat michigan on a neutral field those are the questions i wonder how much that comes into play as opposed to just record because yeah it's nice that clemson is 8-0 right now and it could be 12-0 or 13-0 as the acc champion but fundamentally are they the best team compared to say a Tennessee like if Tennessee played them right now I feel like Tennessee would run them out of the building because they have major offensive issues no I agree man I, I do I agree 100% I think that and, and I am not an SEC homer by any means like I do think that there is a little bit of an SEC bias that exists in college football and maybe rightfully so but right now today I think three of the four best teams in the country are Tennessee Georgia and Alabama now I know I put Alabama at what six but that's because I I guess what I that's me using what I think think the playoff committee uses their logic as far as the rankings go but like i said ohio state or michigan one of them are going to be eliminated from that equation via the last week of the season now what happens if whoever wins that game let's say they go to the big 10 championship game and then lose you're not going to put let's say illinois beats ohio state in the big 10 championship game you're not going to put illinois in the playoff fuck they lost in indiana no you know what i'm saying i mean there's just so many weird things that could happen that would make this thing crazy but yeah. more more often than not those crazy things don't happen and it ends up being the, the the same old people we're used to well we have plenty of football left to play and we will certainly be here for all that action but i want to take a stab you and i at making up our own rankings for the nfl here are you game for this kind of a thing sir yeah absolutely man super excited all right so we're gonna start with the fun the more fun category of the two let's start with the bottom five i want to hear your list of who you think are the five worst teams in the nfl right now all right so this is from the worst to the fifth war you know not okay. as worst so i'm gonna go texans worst lions second worst broncos third worst raiders fourth worst Steelers fifth worst okay so I did not have the Broncos on my list but here is my list and I'm gonna go from the fifth worst to what I think is the worst Steelers at fifth worst the Lions at fourth worst I have the Texans at third worst the Panthers at second worst and the Raiders as the worst team in the NFL did you see their performance Derek Carr threw less touchdowns than Christian McCaffrey this week <laughs> I did but you know what's funny is I was looking through some things while I was putting this together and the Raiders though they actually I believe they were one of the teams they actually have they've outscored their opponents like in total points for points against they were like one of the only teams uh that's at the bottom of their division that has that statistical anomaly um a lot of the rest of these you know these teams have been significantly outscored well my thing about the Raiders is that they have more talent than a lot of these other teams on this list like they traded for Devonte adams they were a playoff team last year they have no business being this bad they have no business not being able to win some of these tight
night games, and they certainly have no business getting shut out in New Orleans. It's not like New Orleans has Andy Dalton. Like, they got shut out from Andy Dalton, who threw two pick sixes last Thursday. I don't know why you got to come hating on the Red Rifle like that, man. You're right, though. What you said, though, about the Raiders being so talented, I think that talent does go a long ways, even in the NFL. And I think they're talented enough to not be considered the worst team. I mean, the Lions, oh my gosh. I, and as much as I, I mean, I was freaking on the bandwagon early in the year, man. Like, Motor City, Dan Campbell, MCDC, my guy. And they play hard, they score points, but my God, they can't stop anybody the texans lovey smith uh, that that is just very depressing football to watch i don't know what russ has got going on in denver but it's not good and uh, i did have the Ra raiders on my list at least and we both agree that the steelers are the fifth worst team Interesting that you put the Broncos over the Panthers because the Panthers have fired their head coach. They've benched their quarterback. They have traded away their wide receiver. They have, I mean, excuse me, their running back. They have nothing. And yet you had them, you had the Broncos there. But I guess if you think about it, the Broncos and use my Raiders thing, the expectations were so high. They have no business being three and five. Oh, Carolina, man, they can use this catalyst to turn things around. That, that oh. division, though, that division is so bad. That division is yep. so bad that it would not be hard for them to like, bounce back and and be in the mix i don't think they're talented enough and they've got some dysfunction but that the freaking nfc south is so trash that it would not take much for them to all of a sudden seem relevant if they would have won that game on sunday they would have been leading the division did you see how they lost the game i did not dj moore caught the game tying pass all they had to do was kick the extra point he took his helmet off in the end zone got a 15 yard penalty so it was a 48 yard extra point that the guy missed they end up losing in overtime that's what i call an iq test man like it, it's just incredible you see it a lot unfortunately in pro sports it, it's just amazing that these guys can be so exceptionally talented and so dumb at the same time yeah but they're getting four years of an education at a yes yeah oh absolutely absolutely they're experts in basket weaving <laughs> if that's even a thing that's probably almost too strenuous no but shit game situation i get being excited and hey i mean i get it you're excited but come on like you need to make an extra point and then you can celebrate all you want for a win the winner of that game would have been in sole possession of first place yeah no it's preposterous man because these guys know the freaking rules it's not like they just oh what the what, what do you mean i can't take my helmet off of the field running around like a jackass it, it frustrates me because i think the reason they do it is like hey like i want the people on tv to see my face and so they take their helmet off and they run around i mean for fuck's sake man like your name on the back of your jersey the tv people are going to say it 10 times because you made a great catch they'll probably replay the catch 10 times on tv you know i, I don't know I and mean, maybe i'm just maybe his head was hot <laughs> who knows <laughs> but by the way this is not a stat of the week but the nfc south all four teams have a negative point differential that does not Awful. that's what i'm saying dude it's so bad it's so bad and the afc south isn't any better I feel so bad. You and I thought that that division was trash, but we thought the Bucks would run away with it. And right now, the Atlanta Falcons and Marcus Mariota are in first place. I I don't know what's happening. That's a that's a crime against good football. It is a crime against good football. However, let's move to top five, which is not a uh, not a crime. Easy for me to say against good football. I want you to start on your five and go up to your best, please. All right. I can't believe I'm about to say this um, as my number five. Oh boy. Oh, um, the Dallas Cowboys, number five. Okay. 
Number four, the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. Number two, the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. And number one, the Buffalo Bills. You and I have all five teams just in a different order. I think that is amazing. We are only one team off of 10 in both of these. I honestly think that outside of our number one, because we will get there in a second, but I think that the top five in the NFL are these teams and you could rearrange them. I, I genuinely feel that way. And I, it's not wrong yeah, that's fair. to rearrange yeah, sure. these teams here. Yeah. I mean, if you if you want to be not right, yeah, you can. You can rearrange my five. No, yeah, of course. I mean, but I'm saying, like, I feel as if these five teams are very solid at the top. And any Giants fan who wants to put the Giants in this list is delusional. So just I'm not here for any of that. But let me go with my number five. I have the Minnesota Vikings at number five. I felt a little weird putting them this low, but I'm still not sold that they can win a big primetime game when they need to because Kirk Cousins has traditionally been really bad in primetime. So until they get there, they're sitting right at number five. I have the Dallas Cowboys at number four. I don't feel bad for saying that because I think that with Dak and they figured some things out, they have a tremendous upside, even though that division is very tough. This is where things are going to get complicated. In Philly, I'm, I'm so sorry. I have the Philadelphia Eagles at number three. That's right. The lone undefeated team in the league. I have third best in the league because I think that their schedule has been somewhat soft. And I think that it's going to take, I mean, th their schedule from here on out, they're going to be 13 and 0 or 13 and 1. And I'm not sure we're going to get a true sense of how great they are until they start playing some of these teams. We might not actually get that sense until they get later in the playoffs, but we will see. I think that they're a good team. I'm just not sold on them as well because they're undefeated. They're number one. Number two, I have the Kansas City Chiefs because Mahomes is a wizard. They lose Tyreek Hill. They add all these pieces and they're just, they're great. And they're extremely well coached. And the unanimous number one is the Buffalo Bills. I have a hard time taking them off the, the top of that list because they feel like they're on a revenge tour right now. And that loss to the Dolphins emboldened them even more. What I'm most sad about is this is probably the last episode we're ever going to record of the Iceman and Coach Show because after putting Philly number three, you're going to have to join the Witness Protection Program and change your name to Patty Slice. <laughs> I, I Philly. Oh my goodness. I hope we don't have any listeners of Philly. They're going to hate you. They might hate me. And again, I'm not saying that they're not good. And that, that's why I did a power rankings here because I love it. It's it's faux controversy. It's a subjective opinion. And like I said, all five of these teams, if you said one of these teams is the best in the league, the only one that I believe is the true best right now is the Bills because I think that they're playing a brand of football that's building on what they've done in the past. The Eagles are a great team that have been building this so very slowly. Like Jalen Hurts last year, they make the playoffs, I think at nine and eight. And, and that this year has been an aberration in that regard, even though I think we knew they were gonna take a step forward. But the Bills have been on the cusp of making the Super Bowl and we know they're great and Josh Allen just gets better and better and better and they look they look different than the Eagles do I don't know what it is about them but that's why it's not a hatred thing it's not as if I put the Cowboys over the Eagles that would be preposterous but I still think that the Eagles have not shown me consistently enough the way that the Chiefs and the Bills have in the last couple of years that they're here to stay. Yeah, I would say that when you do watch the Eagles, that you get a little bit of a, I don't know, like it, they win. They, it's like they just find a way to win. Like they're not going out and just beating the brakes off people. Uh, not that you should hold anything against them for that, but you're right though about the Bills. There is, there's just something different about 
Buffalo and how they play the game. They just have a swagger about them. And I think that's one of those intangible things that it takes to be a championship football team. And and they seem to have it. You know, I'm here for it, man. Like, I would love nothing more, man, to, than to go to uh, Orchard Park and go to a Buffalo Bills game. And I don't know if I'd jump off a camper through a table, but I'd definitely be there to watch and be, you know, uh, just having a great time. Uh, Bills Mafia, man. Shout out to Bills Mafia. I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, no, I'm with you, man. There's, there's something different about the folks up there in Buffalo, and, and it's beautiful. And maybe the Buffalo Bills right now are Ivan Drago, and Philly is Rocky, and we will see an upset. I'm not saying that, but... Oh, man. How you can do Buffalo dirty like that? Ivan Drago? No. Ivan Drago? No, if anyone's Ivan Drago, it's the Chiefs. The Chiefs are Ivan Drago, if anyone's Ivan Drago. The red says it all. No, 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 no. I'm talking about they're obliterating everybody. I'm pretty sure Josh Allen goes up to every quarterback. You will lose, or I must break you, or something. And that's it. Feels like they're they're in that place right now. That they are just they're taking out everybody. I mean, they took out the Chiefs like they're Apollo Creed, the aging star. They're excuse me, Aaron Rodgers like Apollo Creed. Like I'm telling you, man, they're on a revenge tour. Don't sell them short as Ivan Drago right now. No, I agree, man. I, I tell you what, there's no there is no city in the NFL that I would rather see win a Super Bowl than the city of Buffalo, New York. I feel like they freaking deserve it. After the four falls of Buffalo, the wide left or whatever the hell it was, I my goodness, please, 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 please. And the you know, sports has a way of like sort of coming full circle and working out and rewarding cities like this. We saw with the Cubs and World Series took a little longer, but gosh, I, I would love it. I'm here for it, like you said. Can't wait. All right, well, let's go into a little take it or leave it. You've been wanting to do something like this for a while. So we have 10 teams in the NFL right now. You're going to start. We're going to go every other. I want you to take them or leave them in making the playoffs. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. All right, number one, the New York Jets. The Jets are not a playoff team. Uh, they've been impressive up to this point, but with the way their schedule shakes out, I ultimately think it's going to be the Jets or the Dolphins. Uh, I, you know, One of those two teams are going to pop into the one, one of those last wild card spots. And ultimately, I think it will be the Dolphins. So that leaves the Jets on the outside looking in. All right. Number two on this list is the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. I'm actually going to leave them out because I think that their coach, there's something about the team that just can't, that they can't seem to get over the hump and get out of their own way. They can't seem to win the big games when they need to and keep a consistent run. And I just think that I'm going to leave the Chargers. So on the Bengals, I think, yes, we have Joe Burrow. And I know they lost Jamar Chase, but I think that their schedule kind of stacks up pretty favorably down the stretch. I do think they'll find some some ways to, uh, you know, sort of compensate for that production that uh, Jamar Chase brought. I, I just I love Joe Burrow. He seems like kind of the everyman. And so maybe it's a little bit of an emotional decision. But I say uh, I'm taking the Bengals and I say, yes, they are playoff. Okay, next on this list is Seattle Seahawks. Right now they're in first place in the NFC South, or excuse me, the NFC West. And while I think it's a great story and obviously Pete Carroll can coach, I just feel like there's a lot of other talent in the NFC for me to feel like they have a lot of staying power. We're halfway through. Unfortunately for Geno and the Seahawks, as great a story they are, I'm going to leave them. So the next one on the list, we have the Washington Commanders. Uh, they're sitting at 500 right now, four and four. And I don't have much to say other than a fuck. No, they're not making the playoffs. Isn't that they're four and four? They're the same record as the Patriots. And by the way, they'd be in first place in the NFC South. So hooray to the Commanders for being wholly mediocre. Number six on the list, the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams sitting at three and four. 
I have to tell you, man, I'm going to be a Debbie Downer here. I'm going to leave the Rams out because I don't think that they have it this year. I think Stafford is hurt. They don't seem to be playing with any kind of swagger. Sean McVay is coaching like he's done coaching. I don't think they have it. I think the Rams are out. Next on the list, we have the Denver Broncos. And I don't know if you plotted this out in your head before you put this in my lap. But again, Russell Wilson does not have it going on. Nathaniel Hackett might be the worst coach in the NFL. I say absolutely not. There's no way. This is a tough division. I mean, sure, yeah, we talked about how talented the Raiders are. Obviously, you have the Chiefs. I just do not see uh, this team making the playoffs. No way. Number eight, we have Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Right now, sitting at three and five, having just lost to Buffalo. Believe it or not, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is capable of bringing a team back from the dead. And even though three and five is not where you want to be, I think that they can sneak into the playoffs with how weak the NFC is. So I'm actually going to take the Green Bay Packers. Next on the list, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, we talked earlier about how absolutely terrible the NFC South is. I do think that the Bucs find a way to probably win that division, which would earn them the most undeserving playoff berth probably in the league this year. But I will say yes, Bucs make the playoffs. And last on this list, the 4-4 four and four San Francisco 49ers who found a little bit of offense with Christian McCaffrey this past week. They're in a really tough division, but again, a very weak NFC. I'm actually going to give the nod and take the 49ers to make the playoffs. What do you think? Who are some teams that you feel like are frauds in the NFL right now, even with good, re good records? Find us on Twitter at Iceman and Coach is the handle. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how full of crap that we are, especially for my Philly take. You know what that means, folks. Another week, another crunch time where we go rat-a-tat-tat -tat through 10 games on the schedule. Coach, let's fire it up. First, number 24, Oregon State travels to Washington to face the Huskies. Oregon State seems like a team that shouldn't be in the top 25. The Huskies at one point were in the top 25. Give me the Huskies. I agree. It seems weird seeing those two numbers next to Oregon State. I, you know, especially going on the road to Washington is a tough place to play. I am on Washington. Easily the game of the week. Number two, Tennessee travels to Georgia in what has to be defining in the playoff. Tennessee is coming in on a hot streak. Georgia is the defending national champions. I'm going to take Rocky Top here. Man, emotionally, I want to take Tennessee so bad in this game, but I think going on the road to Georgia, Georgia has something to prove. What blows me away is Georgia is an eight and a half point favorite, which just seems absolutely crazy. I really think it's going to be a tight game that's going to come down to the wire, but I do take the Bulldogs. Unranked Michigan State traveling to Champaign, Illinois, and our boy Ryan Leskis for the number 14, that's inexplicable, Illinois fighting Illini. This seems like a trap game for Illinois after Michigan State just got obliterated by their rival. Give me the Spartans. I think that Michigan State has a lot of distractions going on in their program after what happened in Michigan last week. I think 14 is a little bit of an inflated rating for Illinois, but I do think that Brett Bielma has the boys rolling. I'll take the home state Illini. The number six Alabama Crimson Tide traveled to Brian Kelly and the number 15 ranked LSU Tigers. This used to be a matchup that would define the national championship. Nick Saban is going to tell Brian Kelly who is his daddy. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. And, and maybe, I don't know, either way this works out, I'm going to be happy. Give me the Tigers in Death Valley. 
Number five, Clemson Tigers traveling to South Bend, Indiana to face the coach and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. This is easily the game of the year for the Fighting Irish after having a very, very difficult start to their year. They're on a hot streak. Give me the Irish. Wow, I did not see that coming. Me and my father will be in attendance at this game on Saturday night. I cannot wait. It's going to be exciting. It's not as exciting as we hoped it would be once we found out we were going to go to this game. But either way, Notre Dame has the chance to play spoiler, and this is a purely 1,000% emotional decision. Wake up the echoes. Shake down the thunder. Give me the Irish. Switching to the NFL, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings traveling to his former home and facing the Commanders here in Washington. Kirk Cousins never really plays well in games like this. It feels like a trap game, but I feel like the Commanders are fraud, so give me the Vikings on the road. Well, it's well documented, Kirk Cousins' uh, inability to play well in Washington, but either way, I will take the Vikings. Geno Smith and the first place Seahawks travel to the winless at home Arizona Cardinals in their last eight games with Cliff Kingsbury, hanging on by a thread in his 8.75 lives that he has here. I'm actually going to take Geno and the boys on the road. Geno and the boys, and Kirk goes down this week. Give me the Seahawks. The Indianapolis Colts playing the New England Patriots. This is the game of the show here, a battle of our teams. The Colts come in completely listless with Sam Ellinger. The Patriots come in. Mac Jones has his feelings hurt. Give me the Patriots at home. The Colts uh, have rarely ever played well in Foxborough, dating back to the Peyton Manning days. I don't think that changes now. Regrettably, I'll take the Patriots. The Los Angeles Rams travel to Tampa to face the 3-5 Buccaneers in a rematch of the playoffs last year. Tom Brady could use a win. Matt Stafford could use a win. Honestly, it's a push. Give me the Bucs. I'm really sort of reveling in Tom Brady's misery right now, and I hope that the Rams can sort of uh, put the nail in the coffin this week and or whatever. Give me the Rams on the road in Tampa. In the last game, the Baltimore Ravens travel to New Orleans to face Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, and the New Orleans Saints. I feel like the Ravens are teetering. They don't have a lot of offense. Give me the Saints at home. Houdat Nation, uh, that's a tough uh, fan base to go in and play in front of, but I think that the Ravens are one of the most well-coached teams in the NFL. Uh, they, they tend to sort of uh, rise to the occasion in tough environments. They'll have themselves in a position to win this game. Give me the Ravens on the road. All right, that is the slate of 10 games this week. There is a lot of action to take in, even if some of the matchups in the NFL don't look that great. Tennessee, Georgia is going to be worth the price of admission, so clear out your plans, put the kids to bed. That is going to be a game not to miss. I love crunch time. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. It's always fun, man. I feel like we're getting into much more of a rhythm and going so much faster than we ever did. I love it. And if you love it, let us know by reaching out to us on Twitter. But we have some more business to attend to. All right, coach, it is time for the Iceman's stat of the week, and I'm going to bring you a stat from the NFL. We talked about our boys, the Carolina Panthers earlier. I'm sure that you remember this. Well, apparently when you play the Panthers, it is dangerous for you. Not in the week that you play them, but in the week after you play them. This season, teams are 0-8 in the game after playing the Panthers. How about that? 
That's absolutely wild, man. It must just be maybe just the dysfunction's contagious, and it it just you know it overwhelms the other team. They're like, my gosh, man, like we can't even deal with this. Uh, that sounds preposterous, but I don't know, man. I think sometimes you can sense that sort of thing if there's just all this chaos and craziness around you, like exists in Charlotte right now. Who knows? Mm -hmm. By the way, my other stat was the Steelers defense has allowed 43 plays of 20 plus yards this season, which is easily a league high. They are also the highest paid defense in the league, so money can't buy you everything. Gather around everyone for Coach's pick of the week. An update on his record. He is a paltry 2-3-2 two, and two after yet another push. Michigan State plus 22 over Michigan last week, losing 29-7. to seven. Boy, oh boy. And by the way, I did shortchange him a win a couple of weeks ago since he missed last week or the week before. So Coach, it is time for your pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye. We are happy here on the Iceman and Coach Show to be able to bring you such marvelous, reliable picks. And we have another one for you here this week. The Michigan Wolverines travel to East Rutherford, not East Rutherford, wherever the hell in New Jersey that Rutgers is, to take on the Fighting Greg Shianos. They are 26 and a half point favorite. This is totally the type of game that Michigan will win, but it will be too close to call. Yes, two weeks in a row, I'm taking the Michigan opponent to cover the spread. Give me the Scarlet Knights plus 26 and a half. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights plus 26 and a half against Michigan. So let it be written. So let it be done. And that brings us to the end of the show this week. We hope that you enjoyed it. Coach, I had a really, really great time, and we are now in the month of November inexplicably. We've got a ton of football left to go, my man, but we have some major holidays coming up, so I'm looking forward to maybe adding a little bit of a, a holiday flair to the show. But before we leave, do you have any parting thoughts for our Ice Time Nation? We're getting into the heat of the football season, both at the college level and the NFL. We're starting to have more meaningful matchups happen. There's a couple really big ones this week um, on the college slate for sure with Georgia and Tennessee. Notre Dame's going to take care of uh, Dabo and the boys in South Bend on Saturday for me. I, I just can't wait. It's the best time of the year, that nice crisp fall weather to sit with the windows open in a hoodie and sweatpants and take in some great football. I cannot wait. And again, man, it's my favorite time of the year with the holidays coming up. I, I can't wait to see what we're able to come up with to add a little flavor to the show. Same here, man. Same here. I feel like we are just continuing to ascend and I love every single week. I feel like we grow and I'm a huge fan of the holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas are easily my favorite times of the year and there's a lot of football to be had. So I'm hoping that we can bring a little bit of that personal flair to the show. Before we get you out of here, please support the Pub Time Podcast with Brad, not Coach over there. They're doing a lot of interesting work. Now that the holidays of Halloween is over, you can get away from some of that serial killer stuff and go back to talking about dildos and other types of things that you do on that show. It's a good stuff. It's a good show. You should support it always. Please visit the Matty Ice Media Network's homepage, mattyicemedia.com, to support this show and the other shows like Apple Rated Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast. Inexplicably, a podcast about sneakers alone somehow makes people want to listen. I'm not really sure how that works, but I appreciate everybody tuning in this week. I know that the coach does. And from all of us here at Iceman and Coach, we'll see you next week.
opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network. <laughs>